Ephesians 2.18 says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. If you've been part of this uh, series we've been doing on the Trinity, I hope that as you're reading scripture and uh, hopefully doing your daily devotions and being in God's word, that just uh, passage after passage just pops out to you where you see the Trinity in these um, in passages of scripture in, or in sections of it. And so Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for, in, for through him, through Jesus Christ, we have access in one spirit to the Father. So again, we see all three members of the Trinity in that one passage. And that passage also gives us kind of the framework where we're going to be looking at for some of these applications today. That um, there, as we saw this morning, there is a certain kind of ordered structure to the three persons of the Trinity. Uh, that God the Father is, is the first person, the Son of God is the second person, and the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. These are not arbitrary orders, like it was a bunch of just uh, balls that were juggled together, and this is how it came out. And the Father got, he, he was the first bingo ball to be drawn, and so he's, he's number one. But there's something just within the, um, within the relational structure of the Trinity, of the persons, that this is what makes sense. The Father being kind of the, the, the fountain of the, the personhood of the, the Son and the Spirit. And so we're going to talk about that, and we're going to apply this to two very practical uh, parts of the Christian life. Uh, the first part we're going to uh, look at is the Trinity and how knowing the Trinity changes the way that we, that we pray. So we're going to look at this, and then at the end, the second point, we'll see how much time we have and how much we... Uh, how we're feeling, how much we want to do, but talk about the Christian life and obedience. And there's going to be, definitely, there's more that we could say than we will, uh, but <clears throat> realizing that the Trinity changes how we live the Christian life. It changes our motivation. It changes just a lot of different things. And I hope that we, what we realize of this is how much <clears throat> different it is to worship a God that is Trinity than just some kind of God that's just a generic monotheism where he is he is not this personal type of a uh, tri-personal type of god and the first thing we can just remind ourselves of when we think of the trinity and we think of prayer there's so many things we take for granted in prayer but the first is just the trinity reminds us that god is a personal god this is so important not only is he personal but he is tri-personal there are three persons within the trinity he has always been somebody that uh, there is relationship available. And as we said this morning, if God was just a, a solitary being all by himself, he wouldn't have anyone to be a person to before he created this world. He would have kind of either needed to create us to, to really function as a person, to have relationship, or he would have been just lonely forever. And none of those things are kind of worthy or true thoughts of what the real God is like. But because he is Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he's been in this relationship within the Trinity forever and ever. He created us to let that love that he has spill over into, into other beings that he had to bring into existence so that we could know him and we could love him. But if we think about this, this is why we can, we can pray to him. That it is a God that we can pray to who is, um, a, 
a hymn that is a, a person. Think of so many other religions in the world that if they do have some kind of a God, it's, it's some kind of force or something like that. You have religions like, like Buddhism or uh, where there really isn't a, a personal God that's out there. They either try to achieve nothingness or they try to achieve oneness with everything. And you could you know, pray to the universe or whatever, but it's, it's not something that's going to respond to you. It's not something that really knows, not something that cares, not something that loves. But because God is personal and beyond personal, tri-personal, we have a God that does know and a God that does hear and that does care. Next question is, well, who is it that you should pray to? Is it okay to, is there one specific person in the Trinity that we should pray to? Should we be rotating uh, amongst the three persons to, you know, kind of, so you know, have it so, you know, one person doesn't feel bad or feel left out, you know, we kind of give equal opportunity here. Or should we just pray to the Trinity as a whole or to just God as a whole? And are there instructions that we have from Scripture? What kind of makes sense as we think about all this with the, you know, the, the kind of the organizational structure of the Trinity? There's a few considerations we want to keep in mind as we think about this. And in the Old Testament, yep, most prayers, they're, they're just to, to God or the Lord. Of course, they didn't have the revelation of the Trinity. There was hints at it in the Old Testament, as we've seen. But it wasn't until the New Testament and the coming of the Son and the Holy Spirit that people had a clear understanding uh, that, that God was triune. In the New Testament, most, by far, New Testament prayers are to the Father. So that's something that we have to keep in mind. Most of the prayers are to the Father. There are a few prayers to Jesus in the New Testament uh, for example, Stephen prays to Jesus as he's being stoned at the end of Acts, Acts 7. Um, I believe, it, and I'm quoting here from uh, Fred Sanders in his book, he says, as far as I know, there are no recorded prayers to the Holy Spirit. So we take this into account as some of this kind of evidence, and um, as we think about this, uh, well, I'll just tell you this, I, I don't think it's necessarily wrong to pray to uh, one or the other, um, or to pray to just God as, as a whole. But at the same time, you know, looking through this and thinking about it, I've become more convinced myself too that it does make sense to pray with the grain of Scripture. This is something that uh, <clears throat> Fred Sanders in his book, The Deep Things of God, uh, talks about. He talks about praying with the grain you think about it, if you are involved in woodworking and you have a piece of wood, you know, depending how you, how you cut it or you sand it, it's going to be different whether you're cutting with the grain or against it. If you're trying to like sand against the grain, how's that going to work? Or if you're at home and you have a kitty cat, you know, your kitty cat's going to be much happier with you if you are petting kitty cat the right way with the fur versus petting kitty cat the wrong way against the way that the fur is supposed to lay down. So if there's something about uh, God and just how he is and the relationship within God and kind of the order within him, maybe that has something to tell us as well as far as kind of how to pray with the grain uh, as far as who God is. So really the basic structure that probably should be the, the normal way that we pray would be to pray to the Father 
in the name of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or to, uh, <clears throat> so to the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. Sanders says, when we pray this way, quote, we are coming to God the Father in a way that retraces the path of his sending the Son and the Spirit to reveal himself and to redeem us. That there's something along the lines that, that God the Father within the Trinity uh, is kind of the, the source and the, the kind of the wellspring of the, the person of the Son and the, the Holy Spirit. Not in a way that they're created, but in a way that the Son is, is eternally begotten of the Father. He's always existed, uh, but there's something about that the, the Son is of the Father. And it talks about that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and is also sent by the Son. So you have this kind of relationship of the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God sending the Son, and the Son sends the Holy Spirit uh, that, that came at Pentecost you know, for us. And so kind of this way of praying this way is kind of like uh, going kind of back up the ladder, kind of retracing the step of God sending uh, Christ and then the Holy Spirit down to us. So I want to think a little more about kind of this, these eternal relationships within the Trinity, Father to Son to Holy Spirit, and just thinking about that there's an ordered structure within the three persons of the Trinity. Again, not in any way that makes it go where there, that one is less in being or worth. We affirm that there's one God and the three persons are equally God, um, that they are equal in value and worth and, and dignity and, and everything. Uh, but there's a relational difference between them. And <clears throat> if you're here this morning, we talked about kind of an illustration from C.S. Lewis that it's like three books that if you had them stacked on a table, uh, but they're like that for all eternity, that one book is supporting the other two and the one in the middle is supporting the top one. And there's a sense where the, the personhood of the Father supports the, uh, the Son and the Spirit, and the Father and the Son together support the Holy Spirit. I think one thing we can look to, there's so much, especially in the Gospel of John, that, that gives us kind of uh, raw material to think about the Trinity and what the, the Trinity is like, uh, both in, his mission, in God's mission to come save us, and also thinking through this, what does it teach us about what God is like in and of, in and of himself, even before he came? And so, if you have your scriptures, or if you want to um, grab one from the pew, turn to John chapter 5. And I want us to read a little bit, kind of a, well, a little bit of a long section here. We won't be able to completely unpack this or anything. Uh, but it should be a lot of just good food for thought. Because this is going to apply to this part of the message and, and the second part as well. Because we're going to see here this kind of ordered structure. Um, we're going to see items here about the... Uh, the sending, we've been talking about that, that the Father sends uh, the Son, and even what you might be able to call kind of a flow of authority from Father to Son to Holy Spirit, uh, without it meaning that um, one has, uh, is completely different from the others. So let's see here, John chapter 5, here we go. Okay, we'll start with verse... Uh, 19, actually I'll back up a little bit, verse 18 it says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, 
because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. It's like they thought, Jesus, you seem to be making yourself equal with God. When the way they saw it, calling God his father didn't mean like you're less than him, like father's here and son is a rank down below. You know, that he was calling himself son in the same way that I'm, I, I'm just a, 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 I want to say chip off the old block, but that's, that wouldn't be quite right. Uh, but he's a, he's, a, he's a duplicate. He's the same as the father. You know, there's, there's some people that, you know, they look like their father. They're, they're like their dad in, in so many ways, both physically and, you know, what they're like, personality. And it's like Jesus is saying, I, I'm just like the father. Anyways, moving on here. With that in mind, then verse 19, it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. This morning we talked about just the love between the members of the Trinity too. You see that? You see this, this, uh, this structure of, this ordered structure? Verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives him life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. How are you saved? By, by believing uh, and, and putting your trust in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. 25, truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. So we see this. We see um, the father has life in himself. Again, he gives this to the son. And now he has life in himself as well. That's something that's eternally happening. Um, we see this talk about authority. Now flip over to John chapter 16. Because we're also going to bring in the Holy Spirit here as well. John chapter 16, we're going to read verses 12 through 15. Now this is Jesus talking again, and he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth. So Jesus is saying, I'm here. He knows he's going to be leaving, but he's going to be involved in sending the Holy Spirit um, that the Holy Spirit will be manifesting himself in this world and having a new ministry. For he will not speak on his own authority. So even you have this issue with the, the, the Holy Spirit not speaking his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So you get some pretty kind of mind-blowing, you know, concepts there uh, with the 
the Father sending the Son. The Son, we're going to see, sends it, is, and the Father sending the Holy Spirit uh, with them not speaking on their own authority. And, and that's interesting because you think about, um, you know, what the Trinity's like. I mean, within the Trinity, it's, it's not like there's, you know, we talk about them being three different persons. But again, we don't want to think of this as being uh, three individuals or three human beings. It's not like us where you could have any three of us and say, we're just going to get really tight as a family and, and be a trinity. You know, their union goes deeper than that. They're, they're connected in actual being and who they are. You think about it, their, their, um, their, their mind, their intellect is one. I mean, what would they know that's different? You know, I mean, what would, what would be uh, different that the Holy Spirit, you know, wouldn't know that the Father would know? There might be something when Christ was on earth during his humiliation, during the incarnation, that working out of just the, the human part of his brain, there's things he didn't know, the re, his return date or things like that. But as far as his divinity, uh, you'd have to say that, that they would always know the same things. They wouldn't have differences of opinion. You know, they would share the same will, wouldn't they? You can't have this, this where... Uh, the father says, you know, I think this is what we should do. And the son says, I think this is what should we should do. And, you know, we need the Holy Spirit to come in as a tiebreaker. You know, their union is, is, is deeper than that. They're, they're linked together even by a, by a common will that they have that's part of the nature of God. So on one hand, they have um, this union being one nature, one substance. But there's also this, this ordering within uh, the relationship that we've been talking about. <clears throat> so my main point... For bringing this in for prayer is that we have this idea of, of God the Father as a source and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so when we pray, we're kind of praying back up to the Father as, as the ultimate kind of fountainhead of the whole Trinity. And I think that's what Jesus is instructing us to do this. Jesus instructs us to pray to God as our Father. And uh, for one, we see that this is what, how Jesus always prayed. You know, when Jesus prays in Scripture, he's, he's not just praying to, to God as God, he's praying to God as his Father. And we think, well, that's great, because uh, good for him, because he's the special Son of God. But it was a big deal when Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer and told everyone else to pray to God as Father. When you pray, uh, say, Our Father who is in heaven. That was, that was a big deal. You didn't see at least not very often, prayers like that in the Old Testament. This was, this, this was a new type of thing, new relationship. And as Christians, we know that this means, well, for us, when you're saved, you're adopted into God's family. That we are, we're not natural sons and daughters of God, but we, we become adopted as his sons. Uh, Jesus is the natural son, and we're adopted into that. But we have the ability to pray to God as, as our father. And what a good thing to be able to do that. What, a, what an intimate thing. What a personal thing to pray like that. When you actually do have someone that, that is your, your child. I think of, you know, my kids. Um, you know, they could just refer to me, you know, and when they need something and say, you know, you know Pastor Archer or Dr. Archer. But you know what? They're, they're my kids. I don't need them. I don't want them calling me that. I'd rather have them call me, call me dad, call me, call me father, and just lean into that relationship and who I am to them in that way. And that's what God wants you and I to do. He wants you to lean into that relationship that, that he is our father in heaven. And he is the, the personal one. A father cares for people, uh, for his children. He provides for them. 
He's the, the source of a blessing and goodness for them. Matthew 6, 7 through 9, Jesus said, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. If you make it super long, then you know the gods must hear you because you made it real long. Jesus says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. We're going to our Father to ask what we need, not because he's like, I don't know what you need, I don't know what it is, but he wants to be asked. Why? Because the relationship is important. He's ready to help you. He knows what's best. He knows what you need. He knows the struggles you're going through. He knows the tough times. But even more than the answer to the prayer that you're looking for, the deeper thing is you need that relationship with him. And that's what prayer helps us to do, especially when we're praying to him as our father. Jesus said, do not be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. But he does want you to ask. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The father is, is the source of all the Godhead's good purposes for us. Uh, a book on the Trinity by, by Philip Ryken, he writes, the first person of the Trinity is commonly called Father because he is the initiator and source of heaven's love. Father is the preeminent title for the first person primarily because it teaches us that he is the source of all the Trinity's purposes. You know, we've been seeing that piece together in this series that it ultimately is initiated and flows from the Father. John 3.16, God, talking about God the Father, so love the world. Well, how do we know it's talking about God the Father? Because he sent his Son for us. In Ephesians chapter 1, look at that. It talks about the Father is the one that initiates and plans our salvation. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That's a great thing, too. Our, 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 our Father in heaven is, is unchanging. Think about the attributes of God and what a great thing that is. It's not like having uh, you know, a dad that you've got to catch him in the right mood. Okay, maybe he'll say yes if it's, if it's a good mood. If he's grumpy, maybe he's going to say no. If he's had his coffee or if he hasn't. It's going to be different. God's goodness does not change. So you see God being the source. He sends the Son. The Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. He's the source of that as well too. And uh, the two verses, passages that talk about that, John 14, 15 through 17, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And in John fifteen sixteen, Jesus says, But when the helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, so it's the Father sends, now it's also Jesus sends, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. That the Holy Spirit is coming to, to, to glorify Christ, to bear witness to him, to, to point the spotlight at him. But it's, I read this to just give all this um, biblical 
warrant for us to believe that the, the God, the, the Father, is kind of ultimate source of all this within the three persons of the Trinity. So it makes sense to ultimately pray to him as, as, as the goal. And with that, we have um, Jesus as, as the mediator, as kind of the bridge, as the one that access, gives us access to the Father. We can come to the Father because we have Jesus, because we have a mediator. We read in Ephesians 2.18, For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus taught his disciples at one point, John 16, 20, starting with verse 23, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Well, what does that mean? You ask nothing of Jesus? Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus is saying there that when we pray, it's not as if we have to say, Jesus, pass on this message to the Father and get it to him. Jesus is saying we can go directly to the Father through Jesus because of his authority, because of his name. That we've been given, we've been given access, we've been given uh, permission, certification that uh, we go directly to the Father. Now, of course, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all one. It's not like we're bypassing you know, in that way, like the son isn't going to know what's, what's happening. Uh, but Jesus is saying that you can have, through him and because of him, direct access to the Father. There's other verses in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, the immense group, we just talked about this on Wednesday, Jesus as our high priest and what this means and uh, that he, he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses and we can draw near to the throne of grace uh, to find help in our time of need. And Jesus intercedes for us, Romans 8, 34. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. <clears throat> so we pray to God as our Father as a source, access through the Son's authority, and empowered and helped by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There's times when we want to pray and we just can't put three, set, three words together. There's sometimes when I'm praying and the only thing I can, I can get out is, 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 Lord, help me. There's times when you know, we are not articulate and, and polished. And the great thing to know is that God knows our heart and it's not about it being polished. There, there is time for writing good prayers and thinking about it, and I hope, I hope you do. But there's also times when God knows our weakness and just going to him. And the Spirit's going to be that, that crutch. He's going to be that help. And even when we don't want to pray, he'll, he'll find the words for us. And even when we pray the wrong things, he'll kind of take it on the way. It's like if you had a message for someone, you had to deliver it, and you write out, you know, this is what you think you need. And the Holy Spirit takes it, and I'll deliver this, and also, yeah, you don't really need that. Let's change that. Let's, let's, I, I know what you really need, and I know what, what is going to be best for you, and let's, let's submit this request the right way. And praise God that he does that. Think how many foolish things we prayed for, uh, that at least I prayed for, I'm sure you probably have too, and all the, the different things. Praise God that he knows what ultimately is going to be best in the long run, and we can trust in him to do that. Ephesians 6, 17 through 18. And take the helmet of salvation 
and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. So it says in the Spirit, that word can mean by, so it's, it's through him, by his power, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So we're praying by, by his power. But notice it also says, it mentions the sword of the Spirit. It's talking about the, the word of God. Does that have anything to do with prayer? Well, if we're praying in and by the power of the Holy Spirit, let's think of this too. Um, who wrote this book? Yeah, Moses wrote part, and Paul wrote part, and John wrote part. But who, who wrote all of it? God. Specifically, which person? The Holy Spirit. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So if you want to pray according to the will of God, and maybe have this book in mind, the book that he wrote, because this is going to match what he believes and what is his, his will for you and I. And so that the more that we're praying according to what he has revealed to us, yeah, the more effective our prayers are going to be. And also learn to be, to be praying scripture back to him. That can be a great way to spend your prayer time. You know, just work through the, the Psalms and, and to, to use that as a, a springboard for your own prayers or different passages of scripture. They give yourself some, some structure that you think about what is, what is God saying to you in whatever passage you're reading and then praying those truths back to God. Just a great way for him to help us uh, in our prayer, but he's also helping us through the word that he has written. I want to make a comment too. You know, you don't see as many prayers directly to the Holy Spirit. I, I, I don't think it's, I can't say that it's sin to do that. I don't think it's necessarily wrong. But there's something about the ministry of the Holy Spirit that I think would say that that's not what he's looking for. In Scripture, it talks about the Holy Spirit wanting to, to, to promote and to shine the light on, on Jesus Christ and to glorify him. I mean, J.I. Packer talks about the Holy Spirit having a floodlight ministry to Christ. You know, if you're, you see a new supermarket that's opening up and it has a, a floodlight outside of it, you know, the floodlight shining on the, you know, the entrance to this building so that you see this new building. The floodlight isn't about getting attention for itself. The floodlight is trying to get attention on what it's, it's casting its light on. So in the same way, the Holy Spirit, what he wants to do, what his, his job, his role, his desire is to, is to glorify Christ, for us to see him. We're not ignoring the Holy Spirit, but if we're, we're taking our focus off of Christ and putting it on him just in, in place of that or instead, I think that grieves the Holy Spirit because it's, it's not what he, he wants to have happen. If you had a campaign manager for a presidential candidate and you thought that the campaign manager is so great, let's put our votes for the campaign manager. The campaign manager would say, what are you doing? That's not what I want. I want you to vote for the person I'm, I'm campaigning for. And so we don't ignore the Holy Spirit. We appreciate him, but he wants the attention directed towards Christ. Let me read to you. There's a thinking about this and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and, and them working together in our prayer life. I want to read you a, a section here from uh, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. You may ask, if we cannot imagine a three-personal being, what is the good of talking about him? Well, there isn't any good talking about him. The thing that matters is actually being drawn into the three-personal life. And that may begin any time, tonight if you like. What I mean is this. 
an ordinary, simple Christian kneels down to say his prayers. He is trying to get in touch with God. But if he is a Christian, he knows that what is prompting him to pray is also God. God, so to speak, inside him. But he also knows that all his real knowledge of God comes through Christ, the man who was God. That Christ is standing beside him, helping him to pray, praying for him. You see what is happening. God is the thing to which he is praying, the goal he is trying to reach. God is also the thing inside him which is pushing him on, the motive power. God is also the, the road or bridge along which he is being pushed to that goal. So that the whole threefold life of the three personal being is actually going on in that ordinary little bedroom where an ordinary man is saying our prayers. The man is being caught up into the higher kind of life what I call, what C.S. Lewis calls Zoe, or spiritual life. He's being pulled into God by God while still remaining himself. So it's like you have this chasm and, and the Father is the, the goal on the other side. Jesus is the bridge and the Holy Spirit is the one pushing us across. So even when we pray, this is not us on our own. This is the, the work that we're being drawn into, the, the Trinity, the threefold person uh, the three-person uh, God and his threefold work in our lives. So I, I knew I'd spend most of the time talking about that. Give you one little thing about, on the flip side, the Trinity also changes the way that we obey. And some of the things that we've looked at already actually will help us with this. And here's the point I want to make. And I want to talk more, there's plenty of things we could talk about for obeying God. God gives us the motive to do this. God the Father, you plan the good works we're supposed to do, but we're, we're saved by faith. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us that helps us to, to put sin to death that is transforming us from the inside out. We think of the work of Christ on the cross and what it means to be adopted by him. But I think something that's also helpful is when we think about other human authorities that we have to obey. Because the Bible talks about that. You know, there are different authorities uh, there's the governmental authorities. There's also structures within, uh, within the families. And it talks about, um, in Scripture, obeying uh, your, your, your employer at work, your boss. And maybe your boss, you realize, knows a lot less than you and uh, doesn't know what he's talking about, and you would do a much better job. Um, there's also times where it talks about um, wives submitting to the leadership of their husbands, husbands being the head of the home. But what if, the, what if the husband isn't the one that, uh, does that mean that the wife is less in dignity and value? I mean, that's what a lot of feminists say. You, you shouldn't be like that because that's saying that's demeaning women. And the Bible talks about children, obey, obey your parents. Well, here's the thing. When we think about the different members of the Trinity, we see them playing different roles. They're unified in their work. They're all working together. Uh, but they play different roles in the work of salvation. You see the Father initiating salvation, sending the Son. The Son actually is the one that, that comes down. He's the one that dies, on the, dies, becomes a human being. The other two did not become a human being. He lives his life. He dies on the cross. He rises again. The Father and the Holy Spirit, they don't do that. The Holy Spirit comes. He dwells inside of us, links us to Christ, unites us to, to, uh, to, to, uh, to Jesus Christ and, and to God. So they do different things. And we see there being, uh, the Father sends the Son. You don't see the order reversed. 
But we also confess that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are completely equal in dignity and value and worth. And even if there is this kind of flow of authority that happens. And this teaches us, the roles within the Trinity teach us uh, that different roles do not imply inferiority in being or worth. There are times where we're called on to, to submit to somebody else's leadership, to submit to somebody else's authority. And we see in Scripture the, the Son uh, submitting to the Father. Um, and some of this was when he was in his, uh, because of his humanity and um, being incarnate. Uh, Luke twenty two forty two. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Uh, Jesus, according to his human will, would have preferred not to go to the cross, but he was willing to submit to, to the will of the Father. We also saw that there's this sending language that demonstrates obedience to the Father. Jesus, so you can't explain all of this just because Jesus became incarnate and was in his uh, state of humiliation, putting off the, the glory temporarily, because he was sent before the incarnation. And the Holy Spirit is also sent but this means you can have this structure and um, this, uh, this uh, submission to each other, with one to another, without it meaning that one is less than the other. So if you have a boss that you are called to submit to, it doesn't make you less than that person. And that can help you to more joyfully submit to that boss, just knowing that I'm submitting to the Lord and this is how it is. And, yep, it doesn't mean that I'm demeaned or I'm less than this person any more than it means that the Son of God is less than, than God the Father. And wives and husbands, I think it's a big thing. I think it's a lie of so much of the feminist movement and uh, that type of theology to say if there's any type of uh, roles within marriage or if the husband is called to be the head of the household and the wife is supposed to follow that authority, that makes her less, and so you can't have that. Do you see how looking at the Trinity helps us to realize that, nope, the difference in roles does not make one less than the other. It doesn't take away from your being or your dignity or your value or your worth. And in the same way that the Spirit and, and the Son are, are not less than God. So if God calls you to obey another human being, it does not make you um, less in dignity or value or worth at all. So there's so many other things we could talk about. Trinity's plan of redemption. We're adopted by the Father. Wow. We're, this isn't just, you know, obey because you have this distant dictator that's out there who doesn't even know you. You're adopted into his family as his son. What a, that, that changes everything. And her goal is to be conformed to the Son of God. He died for us. And now we're, we're called to, to become like him. He's our, he's our template. He's our goal. He's our model. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to do any of this on your own power. And being born again, it's not like you must, this isn't from you. It's, it's the God at work in your life, who, the one who has regenerated you, the one that uh, sanctifies you, the one that changes you from the inside out. This is by grace. This is by God's work. And therefore, all of this, this is a joy and praise God that we get to be a part of this. Let's pray. Father, again, we come to you as a source of all goodness. We thank you that every good thing is from you, Lord God. And um, we
We thank you that, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that you are united in everything that you do, that you are one in, in will and in your desire, Lord God. And we just thank you for revealing what you are like to us through the scriptures. Lord, guard us from any error. And if there's things that were not described well, or if there are things that uh, don't match up in our thinking of any of us to what you've said, uh, just help us to... Um, to straighten that out or to remove wrong thoughts, but help us to, to apply what we do know, to not just think of you as a, some kind of generic God that's out there, but you are the living and the active triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God that loved us so much that he sent the Son into this world, and the Son doing what he did, living his life and dying and raising again, and now interceding for us. And that the Holy Spirit has been sent into our hearts. So we are not alone. We are not left as orphans. Uh, but through him, we can cry out, Abba, Father, and trust in you. So God, our Father, we pray to you. In the name and authority of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Be with us. Help us to live for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.